came from all around, from near and from far. common enemy and you will give them a common identity. Deprive them of an enemy and you will deprive them of the crutch by which they know who they are. That, of course, is a quote uh, by uh, Father James Allison, who we are so lucky to have with us once again this week. Thank you, James, for coming and being part of our community. Thank you, James. And not only will be, James will be preaching this evening, but Saturday at 3 o'clock on the 25th, he'll be giving a talk entitled Spiritual Practice in the Age of Marjorie Taylor Greene. So come, you need it, I think. Um, that's 3 o'clock on Saturday. I think we're just going to leave it at that. Um, let's just say hello to the, uh, the hardest working band in the church band business first, though. How are y'all doing? Good? Yeah. Mike, it's true you're, gonna, you're the guest artist? All right. Excellent. We will all see. All right. Well, thank you. This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. Oh. 
Won't you please join me in the prayer of invocation? God of mercy, sitting in your presence, sitting in this community, not quite sure if we are blind to the visceral, visible, or if we see clearly and in that scene are distracted by the baubles and the bites of ambient desire. Bring us to a place of pause, of peace, of deepening release, and the possibility of unexamined acceptance of your presence. Amen. May the peace of Jesus the Christ be with you all. Let's exchange a sign of peace with one another. Uh, it's my pleasure and honor to introduce to you our guest artist and resident polymath. In fact, I think he might be a professor of polymathematics. Yeah. Um, Mr. Mike Schultz, please give him a warm house of mercy welcome. We'll see how this goes. Um, I've been, since I've been back here playing, I've been pulling things out of, uh, out of closets. This is about a 35-year-old closet, so we'll see.
Thank you. Won't you please join me in the prayers of community? I'll end each prayer with God in your mercy, and I invite you to respond. Hear our prayer. God of mercy, in the middle, center of Lent, we sit wondering if we quite get what it is all about. To feel the pain of God, to contemplate the rough surface of existence, to look bravely or weakly into the dark inevitability of its end? Can it be enough to sit, to summon or expect emptiness, to try and rest in the understanding that all that is love, all that is healing, and all that is mercy comes from beyond our understanding and control. God in your mercy. God of mercy, we pray for those people in our lives who are in need of spiritual, physical, or emotional healing. We pray for those in our community who are dying, those who are mourning the death of a loved one. We pray for those who are incarcerated, those who are imprisoned by addiction. Pray for those who are profoundly lonely. Pray for those of us with mental illness. We trust that you are a healer. Embrace all these in your arms. Be with them. Heal them. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, we have not loved you with all that we are. And we have hurt those people in our lives and people who have passed through our lives by the things we've done, by our steps and missteps. We know that you judge us with your grace. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, meet us now in this extended time of silence. May we continue in the practice of radical mercy. Amen. Shall fly.
Tonight's gospel reading comes from John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. As he walked along, he saw a blind man, from, a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, but is it someone like him? He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. 
Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Then they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So the second time they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have already told you, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to be his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are not his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could, not, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sin and are trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. 
But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. The word of the Lord. Good afternoon. What a delight it is to be with you again. I did the math, and it's 18 years since I first spoke to you when you were in First Baptist. This is now the third. Like the woman of Samaria had five husbands, you've had three churches. (laughs) This is the church, third church. What a delight it is to be back with you again. And listen to this long gospel, which I hope you can see is actually full of little bits of humor. They're quite rude to each other in quite fun ways. Remember that in John's gospel, there is a series of signs by which Jesus makes available who he is. This is one of the signs. I don't know whether you had this as last week's gospel, but last week it was the woman at the well of Samaria, at least in the, I think the mainstream lectionaries, is that, is that right? So you had her becoming an active sign of the giving of living water instead of the jug of water which she even left behind at the well. Do you remember that? She found herself becoming something because he had spoken to her. And here we're going to get a different sign-making exercise. and It's rather a rich one. Jesus walks along. He sees a man blind from birth. His disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Magic thinking. If there's something wrong, someone must be at fault. We'll never actually learn how to deal with whatever is wrong if we're always looking for someone to blame. And Jesus completely refuses that way of thinking and says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him, which he, Jesus, is about to do. He then says to them, We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So the night will come at his crucifixion. But before that, it's an extended Sabbath day, which we'll see brought out, in which God is still working and he, Jesus, is working. In other words, creation is still being brought to completion. It hadn't yet been finished. So here he's talking about the finishing of creation. And we'll see that brought out in a second. When he said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes. Well, here's a weird thing. The blind man No one has even addressed a word to him so far. He's just been there, an object of curiosity. He might have been a pot, as far as one could tell, or a donkey for that matter. He's just been there and people have been having a discussion about him. And even Jesus doesn't address him. But then suddenly, what does Jesus do? He takes mud, mixes it with saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes. And apparently, for those who know, there is a Hebrew pun in the origin in the back of this because the mud 
from the earth is Dham and Adam is earthling from whom uh, we come, as it were. So what's he doing here? He's signing the creation of humankind. Here is Adam being brought to life. No wonder he can't talk up till now. Now he's going to become the sign of a human being brought to life. So he says to the man, go to wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. There must be some deep reason why we're told that, but I have yet to work out what it is. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it's he. Again, they're all talking about him. The man must have been mad with distraction. Here he is wandering around, a bloody miracle in the middle of them, and all they can do is talk about them and talk to themselves. Do they address him? No. Some were saying it is he. Others were saying, no, but it's someone like him. He kept saying, I am he. <laughs> can you imagine it? Ridiculous situation. Miracle, miracle here, talk to me, talk to me. Nope. In fact, this is a key thing. He doesn't say, I am he. He says, I am. He's the only person in John's gospel who gets to say, I am, apart from Jesus. And when Jesus is saying it, it's Yahweh. So here we have Adam, the image of God, saying, I am. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Very straightforward explanation. The man, Jesus. We're going to see the, the titles going up in degree as he works out what's going on here. He becomes very bright. Not like the dumb questioners. Go to Salam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? <laughs> As though he would know. And he says, I don't know. Sensible enough, really. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. They felt that the whole thing needed a checkup and that you ought to go before the appropriate witnesses who knew what to do in these situations. Now it was a Sabbath day, oh, yes, when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And you weren't supposed to do works on the Sabbath day. And uh, creating mankind kind of counted as a work. So it looked as though Jesus had fallen foul of the prescription that he ought to have been resting, because that's what it said in Scripture. Instead of which he was, my father works and I am working. He was continuing the work, bringing Adam into being. It was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees knew there was something wrong. It gave them a good excuse to question the fact. There was a fact that they couldn't do anything about. Here was someone who people said had been blind, and now he wasn't blind. This is a fact. How do you deal with it? So they began to ask him how he had received his sight. Let's see if we can suspect sorcery 
something wicked, you know, then we can, then it'll be like one of the plagues of Egypt, one of the tricks of the Pharaoh's magi, Pharaoh's magicians. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. He keeps on giving them very straightforward, in-your-face answers. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. Okay, so it must therefore have been from other sources. And others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? Odia, oh the group of the good are divided. A fact has divided the righteous. Someone was blind, now they can see. A fact has changed. Interpretation is dividing them. What are they going to do? Lose all authority or find a good way to get their authority together again? So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. Let's see if we can get him to condemn himself out of his own mouth. And at this point, the blind man said, he is a prophet. Okay, well, that doesn't help them at all. They wanted something that would give him away, but it doesn't give him away. It merely makes a strong statement to back up the fact that he can now see. Not much they can do about that. The Jews then opted not to believe that he had been blind. They said, okay, in the evidence of a fact, doubt it. <laughs> you weren't ever really blind before. That's a good way of getting rid of the fact. They didn't believe he'd been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who'd received his sight. Okay, we'll try and get from his parents that this has been a trick all along. He calls them and asks them, is this your son, who you say was born blind, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents are sensible enough. They know that not a good place to be in the sort of firing range of the righteous just who are having a fit of holy togetherness. Um, so they say, we know that this is our son, and we know that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Uh, but he is of age. He will speak for himself. In other words, Honey, we're not going to stand up for you in the face of these. We're putting you straight back in the firing line. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Pass the buck. But again, now at last, formally, the Pharisees had tried to treat him as not really able to speak for himself because he'd said prophet, so they wanted some kind of other explanation. And now they put him back, so now he's going to have to speak for himself. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. This does not mean start a happy clappy dance. It was the formal Jewish formula for putting someone under oath. From that moment on, you were supposed to be under oath before God, and therefore liable for severe punishment if you gave false witness. We know that this man is a sinner. So now he's in the position of how's he going to react to this man being a sinner? He, what he says, he answered, I do not know whether he's a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. In, back, in fact, straight back to the fact about which they can do nothing. 
They then said to him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Went back to the, see if we can find some sorcery. He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Do you also want to become his disciples? Do you want to hear it again? So then they got really cross. They could see that he basically, you know, he's just dissing them. Then they said to him, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he comes from. At this stage, the man who's getting better at this all the time, he can see what these goons are up to. He said, here's an astonishing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began, i.e. since creation. Has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind? In other words, he's moved from man to prophet to the recognition that this is something to do with the act of creation. He's become a very good theologian as he stands up and bears witness in the midst of this persecution. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Nothing comes from nothing. Only God brings something into being out of nothing. In this case, sight. He's got it right. They answered him, you were born entirely in sin and you're trying to teach us? And they drove him out. So do you see how these two extraordinary things have come together? Jesus has brought somebody into being in creation. That person gradually acquires personality, ability to speak, ability to recognize, ability to answer, to stand for himself, and then to understand the mysteries of heaven and earth. At the same time, a group of people are put into division by the fact that's happened amongst them and get steadily more rabid as they try to find ways of sorting it all out. Until eventually they can't do anything more about it, so they condemn him as anathema and cast him out. Which, of course, is what will happen to Jesus. Jesus heard that they'd driven him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? In a sense, now he's going to put words in the man's mouth because the man has already borne witness to him by becoming a created person who's able to speak in the first person, recognize a prophet, and recognize the creator. So he answered, and who is he, sir? So here is someone who he treats respectfully. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. Perhaps it should be, you have seen him, and the one speaking to you is he. Because his whole process had been coming to sight of who Jesus really was from the moment he began to see physically. He began to work out that a man, then a prophet, then it must be from God, had been giving him sight. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus then says, I came into this world for judgment, or rather, to be a criterion. He talked earlier about being the light of the world, the light during which creation would be possible. And now he applies that light to having become a human process of criterion 
being able to distinguish between things that are from God and things that are not from God. I came into this world for criterion, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, I suppose you're saying that we're blind then. That's the implication there. They're being quite tart with him and sarcastic. And Jesus says to them, if you were blind, you wouldn't have sin. You would recognize that you're just screwed up in this thing. It's because you say you see that you're the ones who can distinguish and discriminate, but have been unable to recognize the act of creation that has happened in your midst. It's because you've been unable to recognize that, that your sin remains. So this is the second of these extraordinary signs in the run-up to Easter. Next week, it'll be the raising of Lazarus. On each occasion, something of God happens in a human person who becomes a disciple and a sign in the midst of different forms of ignorance, persecution in this case, disbelief, or in the case of the Samaritans, Delight and discovery, as they all came and learned. These are the great Lenten Gospels for catechumens being brought into the church so that they may see what it is that Jesus is asking of them, how we may become bearers of the fullness of creation, able to be seen as facts, to understand who we have brought into being by not to fall into the traps of ganging up and being righteous over against what is. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the Would you do 
service for Jesus, your King. There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily his praises to sing? 